My name is Brie Castellini. I used to be a spy. My name is Chris Cherry. I used to remember what happened in this episode. And this is Burn Notice, a weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece Burn Notice about Michael Weston, a spy. Have I done that one before? I might have done that one before. Eh. Who knows? It's still true. I'm also going to repeat that throughout this podcast, we will be rating each episode on whether it is A, an episode of television, B, a great episode of television, or C, a great episode of Burn Notice. And I used the letters this time. I normally don't. I know you don't. This is such a fun surprise for everyone. Speaking of fun surprises, if you want to know what complicated calculations go into these ratings, listen to our intro episode or wait until the end of this episode where we'll explain them again. Also, the fun surprise was any- that you said it correctly. <laughs> uh, also, if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan, please get in touch. Also, if you think that Chris repeated his intro, also please get in touch. You can send us questions, suggestions, Chris Cherry roast sessions, compliments, and absolutely no criticism of any kind unless it's to Chris Cherry at burnnoticedpodcast at gmail.com or to our Twitter at burnnoticedpod. That's burnnoticed with a D. If you also have problems with the person that runs our Twitter account, you can also complain about that. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. The person who runs our Twitter account is a loose cannon. And must be stopped. And must be stopped. She is a monster. We cannot let her keep getting away with this. We cannot. So yeah, this the I mean, it doesn't really matter, but we both watched these episodes last weekend and then didn't end up recording episodes. So the next two weeks, who knows what we're going to get. I, until I read the IODB description, I don't remember what episode this is. So uh, this will be like a fun thing we all do together. Exactly. We just I looked at out. my notes and I was like, oh yeah. Yeah, that's more than I did. I did not look at my notes. I just didn't do anything i'm just uh waiting to be surprised but you know what discovery is part of the fun so um i'll give you a hint as to what this episode is about it's written by alfredo barrios jr (laughs) all right and all of a sudden i remember or can at least make an educated guess so this is season three episode 11 it's called friendly fire which aired january 28th 2010 aka a few days after my parents announced their divorce and three days before my 18th birthday and it was written by alfredo barrios jr and directed by terry miller who goes on to direct one more episode of burn notice and only has four directing credits to his name his steez seems to be more producing uh he also played assistant director in ace ventura pet detective to be very clear did he play assistant director did was yeah. he a character yeah, it, that it, was an assistant director? It, yeah, it's, 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 he's credited as an actor, and the part he is credited with is assistant director. Okay, that's not confusing at all. Nope. <laughs> yeah, so the IMDb description of this episode, which uh, I will be reading for the first time as if I've never seen it, excitingly, is Michael helps track down a child predator. Oh, God, no. I remember this one. For, a child for predator? A child predator in an Alfredo Barrios Jr. episode? Unheard of. The twist um, is that it's actually a child predator. <laughs> it's, sm- it's like it's one of the baby aliens child. from yeah. Alien. <laughs> but a predator. Just a little small baby predator. It's really cute. That's that's the real like ultimate villain to go up against Michael Weston, a predator. <laughs> Um, yeah, that, 
Sure is. Uh, so the the reason that Michael is helping track down this child predator is it's uh, for one of Sam's old friends, uh, and who is unfortunately not Sigourney Weaver. And Michael ends up igniting a war between two rival gang leaders. Meanwhile, Michael also makes contact with Diego's killer, who has an interest in his services. Yeah, I remember things about this now from my notes. Me too. I actually, and I will say up top, uh, because I I think people tend to listen to the first parts of our episodes and then get worried that we don't like Burn Notice. Uh, We do. It depends on the time. But I'm going to go on the record and say that this was this has been my favorite Alfredo Barrios Jr. episode of all time. I'm going to go on the same record and say the same thing. And that's fun because like a, a couple of weeks ago or maybe even last week, um, we had our favorite Matt Nix episode of all time. So it really feels like people are hitting their strides. And Chris's uh, concerned assumption at the beginning of the season has so far not turned out to be true that Burn Notice peaked in season two. Yeah, no, it really hasn't. I'm very happy about that. Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm excited. So um, to get into more details, let's jump into the weeds. All right. I got nothing to say about these weeds. I'm just happy to be metaphorically outside. <laughs> uh, so one thing, I, I guess kind of in the weeds, um, they still haven't updated the opening monologue, like the little this is what Burnondis is about section, because they still call Fiona his ex-girlfriend. And I, Chris, I don't know if you remember, do they ever change that? They call her a trigger-happy ex-girlfriend. Is that... I- don't think that they do. I think they probably updated footage that's in there. Although I'm curious because eventually they add a new regular cast member. So one would assume that at that point they change it. But I don't know if yeah, they change the ex-girlfriend Maybe season part. four. Because, yeah, I don't think – I mean, at least as far as I watched, once Michael and Fee get together together, I don't think that they break up anymore. Like there might They're be some together forever. Things. But yeah, I, I do think that they get together. So um, and like like stay together. You know, there's no breaking up and getting back together yeah. and all this nonsense. I think from this point on, it's pretty much ride or die. Those two. Got it. Which is good. I'm Anyways. glad. I hope that that is the case. Yeah, me too. I it, I just it I this was the first time that I'd watched this bit in a while because I was like typing something while the intro was playing and I heard Trigger Happy Ex Girlfriend and I was like I feel like her status has been updated, but. Who knows? Yeah, no, I skip I think it every they assume time. Most people, exactly. I think that's what they assume most people did, so that's why they didn't bother updating it. Uh, okay, so the episode begins with Michael scanning a hotel pool from above, ensuring lots of boobs and butt shots, as uh, this is where he'll be meeting with Diego's killer, Gilroy, a.k.a. a freelance psychopath. Fee is also there as backup, wearing a bright white dress. This will be important in a little bit. Michael is wearing a nice light blue suit, which suits him i don't know if he's this wearing suits, it because he... <laughs> i don't know if he's wearing it to like impress gilroy as like a like a slightly fancier michael weston boy or if this is just part of his repertoire that he doesn't usually pull out but he should pull it out more he looks good i wish they would dress michael weston in colors other than beige because he's a good looking guy and when he wears like color he actually seems like not a yeah. Miami corpse no and they like they do not dress him in clothes that complement his skin tone at all. Mm-mm. Or his body shape. They're always or, like very lumpy beige yeah. suits. Yeah. 
It's like beige so distracting. Suits. It's so distracting. But anyways, but he this scene he he looked very nice in. Uh, and uh, before he heads downstairs to go meet up with Gilroy, Fiona is complaining that they only ever go to these nice hotels on missions. So um, that this is a this is a style of storyline that we've seen before. But I I liked this one. Um, yeah. And I think you can guess where it will go by the end of the episode. That's um, true. So, um, but also. Michael's rationale for wanting to do this thing with Gilroy is interesting because now at this point, the overarching plot cannot be because I got burned because he's kind of given up on that a little bit, or at least they're, they've given up on doing that plot line for a bit. And Mm -hmm. so his reasoning for doing this Gilroy thing is literally just with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah, basically. Which I think is interesting. I think this is, and it's interesting because this episode really leans into the idea of Michael Weston as Superman or Batman or superhero, you know? Superhero. I definitely think Michael Weston at this point works like a superhero. Yeah, I would say that's true. Very vigilante justice. Like, I have these powers and I have to do good because... With great power comes great responsibility. Yeah, exactly. Um, So when we finally get a glimpse of Gil, he is, uh, as you might imagine, a boring as fuck white guy who looks exactly the same as every other psycho we've met. Which, fair, most psychos are boring white men, but the protagonist is also a boring white man and is every villain they've ever cast just a person who was almost cast as Michael Weston. This is my <laughs> suspicion, is they just like saw a bunch of white men from the Michael Weston part, cast Jeffrey Donovan, but then said to everyone else, don't worry, you guys were great, we'll give you parts later. And they just like, every, every couple of episodes, they bring on a new one. It's a distinct possibility. The thing about this guy, Gilroy, is mm-hmm. that I feel he's like British last Barry. he's like yeah. flirty and yeah, questionably like... sexual. <laughs> yeah. And I remember last episode, you gave me shit for being like, I think they're setting up Gilroy to be a fancy British gentleman. And you're like, I don't know where <laughs> well, you're getting didn't... fancy gentleman from. And then voila, fancy British gentleman. Okay, he's so I'm, the most I'm willing fancy. to admit that like he, that is his is, one character trait is that he is, he is fancy, ex- fancy I has expensive tastes, and he is touchy. <laughs> there was no indication other than the fact that he had a British accent at any point prior to this exact. He had a moment very posh British accent, and he talked in a very fancy way. Okay, well, you were right. He is very. He's a very fancy British boy, uh, who is also they repeat multiple times a freelance psychopath. Um, There is no mourning of Diego, our favorite character. So I guess we're just hanging out with Gil right now. And Michael has the the Spider-Man responsibility to like keep him in check. So as long as they're working together, he can keep him under wraps, I guess is the plan. Yeah, he wants to stop doing, wants to stop Gilroy from doing whatever it is he's doing. Also, his name is Gilroy. His name is Gilroy, uh, which I will say doesn't seem like a good long term plan because like he doesn't go into this like seeming like he's trying to scam him into doing a job that he can get him caught in necessarily like it. I didn't understand Gilroy's not going to just be in Miami forever. Right. So like what well, is Michael's long term plan? He well, Michael knows that Gilroy has a thing that he's doing. 
Like, basically, what's happening right now is the plot of a single episode of Burn Notice is going to happen over multiple episodes of Burn Notice. So right now we're in the stage where Michael has to pretend to be a bad guy and get on the on the good side of a bad guy by pretending to be a bad guy. Like we have like at least two episodes of just the proving myself to be a competent bad guy part of a burn notice episode. Got it. And it's not that long term. It's not just like he's going to let Gilroy do stuff, but like curb his worst tendencies. Like he assumes Gilroy has specific business that he wants to stop. Got it. So in terms of ingratiating himself with this freelance psychopath, Michael's angle seems to be that he is a bad guy too, which is also a thing we've seen him do in the past. So we can get close to this dude to take him down. Um, blah, 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 his responsibility. The conversation is fairly boring, but also a little flirty until Fee, who has been glaringly, obviously, in her glaringly white dress, been watching them from afar in a hotel room right above them. The only person on a balcony, it seems, in this entire hotel uh, is shot at from a nearby building. Nothing is concluded. Cold open over. Yeah, it's kind of flirty. Gilroy, they are definitely doing, once again, a little bit of gay panic there because he's very mm-hmm. fancy and he's very, like, touchy. Yeah, and he really likes Michael Weston's style and he's complimenting Michael Weston, but on, like, kind of vague terms. So it's like, is it sexual? Is it professional? Who knows? Maybe both. Do you think that the costume people looked at the script and saw... This guy compliments Michael on his, like, looks. We have to put him in a better suit. <laughs> and, like, they were like, finally. Finally, they'll let us do something other than beige because it's in the script. I have no idea. I would honestly love to talk to a costumer and understand, like, where they're coming from. Because there's clearly a theme that they're going for. But for the life of me, I, I mean, maybe it's just, like, they want him to be an everyman. They want him to be, like, fully invisible. And he only makes a statement when he's doing something else. But, like... I mean, his outfits do suit his personality. But I feel like the outfits inform the personality in a way that is counterintuitive to what the show thinks Michael's personality is. Because I don't think the show thinks Michael is as boring as we think he is. That's true. But maybe maybe the costume people are working on our level. (laughs) But have different goals than us. They're punishing them. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, so uh, after the cold open, we see Sam and Michael meeting up at Madeline's, where Sam is finally, sadly, moving out and in with Miss Reynolds and her mom, Kinky. He tries to pawn some of his pervy old Why man Why is that furniture. Kinky? Because he's living with his girlfriend and his girlfriend's mom, and we know how Sam acts do. So you think that he's going to fuck both of them? Yes, obviously, Chris. Together? At the very least. Or separately? At the, you know, that's what happens in bed stays in bed. But definitely, I... Okay. Do you think Sam Max is a quiet fucker? Because I don't. And so if they are all in a house together, unless this the old Miss Reynolds has severe hearing problems, it's gonna get kinky. Here's the thing about this, because I was... I was not thinking about this. But I do have a note, because Sam is going through his stuff because he has too much stuff to move or whatever or like Mm -hmm. Miss Reynolds doesn't like all his stuff and one of the things that he has is a sexy lamp yeah that's what he's trying to pawn off on Michael 
yeah, he's got this sexy lamp, which it's like a woman in a bikini or something, or it's like, I don't know. It's like a little statue. It's not like the leg lamp from Christmas Story, but spiritually Mm -mm. it is. No, it's a full-ass woman. It's a full-ass woman. And I once again found myself asking, what is he doing to these women that they that someone walks in, sees that lamp, and stays. So here's the other thing is Sam has never had, as far as I've been aware, his own apartment the entire show. So where has he been moving all of this crap from place to place? Because the amount of stuff that he's packing up at Madeline's is like a full house's worth of crap. Has he been moving all of this from conquest to conquest as he goes? Like he was he was living with one lady. He was kind of bouncing around. Then he like stayed with Michael occasionally in, at season one. Uh, he stayed with Michael for a long time in season two after him and like Victoria broke up. Uh, or Veronica. Her name was Veronica broke up. But he'd been living with her for a while. Then he moved from there to Madeline's place. So, and now he's moving in with Miss Reynolds. I don't think Sam Axe has his own place. I don't think Sam Axe has a home. So where no, has Sam all Sam Axe does stuff not been? have a home, definitely. I assume he probably has a storage closet, like a storage space. But he fully moved in with Madeline for some reason? As opposed to living in the storage space? Well, like, why would he have moved all of his stuff into Madeline's house? Oh, yeah. Then, yeah, I guess he like fully moved in stuff. with Madeline. Uh, yeah, the, it's so, it, which once again proves that we were fully robbed of the best scenes of Bird Notice, which we would were. be Sam Axe and Madeline having roommate drama. We truly were. Or I have a theory that I think is a very good theory, which is Hit that me. Madeline gave that lamp to him. <laughs> I love it. It's like a going away present. Well, he's pawning it off. So that's true. Maybe she gave it to him when he first moved in. Maybe it was Michael's dad's, and then Madeline yeah. was like, Sam would probably like this. And then Sam tries to give it back to Michael. That's fun. I like that. He gives it to Michael, and like, he's like, I mean, Michael would have said, Why are you trying to give me my dad's lamp? But I still want to believe, you know? Yeah, no, I understand. Uh, and so as this is this little this packing scene is happening, the the boys are brainstorming how to convince Gilroy that Michael's hardcore enough to get close to. Because Gilroy's whole thing is like, you seem kind of like a goody two shoes, and I don't know if I want to do business with you. I need you to be a little dirtier. And so they're trying to decide how to be a little dirtier. Then someone named Mac from Sam's past, another uh, former SEAL compatriot, arrives and Sam punches him out. I got very distracted from the sad music in the back because right as Mac regains some composure post-punch, Danny Trejo's name appears on screen, and I get very excited. Then I remember the IADB synopsis of the episode, and I get very nervous. Thankfully, this does not come to pass in the way that I most feared, so we're we're in the clear, but I just wanted to take you through my, my mindset as I was going through this scene. Spoilers, they waste Danny Trejo. They do. And thankfully, they don't waste him as being the child predator. Because, like, the wor- no. the worst thing in the world would for them to have cast Danny Trejos as a child predator. Do not want that at all. Uh, they don't do that. Spoiler alert. Anyways. No. But, yeah, they do. They fully waste him. No, um, he's just harboring a child, child predator. <laughs> 
Yeah, which is totally different. Uh, Sam declines an invitation to get beer with Mac and has a very moody moment with Michael where he leans morosely into a door frame thinking about the past. There's a lot of very melodramatic acting and writing and music in this sequence. Uh, The siren's call of free beer is too tempting in the end, though, and Sam acquiesces. So uh, he goes out for a beer with Mac and we learn that Mac is a Houston PD on child abduction cases and the guy he's currently tracking is a real predator. We know he's a child predator, a baby predator. Uh, Oh, Alfredo, you do love hurting children. He has been tracking this dude for a while. In my notes, it just says this is self-parody at this point. (laughs) It really, it's... It's so funny how this keeps happening. I, I would, God, I wish I had just been a fly on the wall of that writer's room. Anyways, um, so Mac has been tracking this real predator for a while. And when they went to finally arrest him, the house they were led to blew up, killed a bunch of his men. And so Mac got suspended and everyone assumes that the child predator is dead. But naturally, Mac tracked this guy to Miami and Sam agrees to help with the aid of Fee. Um, specifically, this was actually trying to set up a backdoor pilot for another spinoff show called Mac Tracks. (laughs) Didn't work. No, it honestly didn't. I would not have watched it. Um, back at the house, Sam packs up some shotguns and a duffel bag like you do. And Madeline does what she does best smokes and pries. Sam resists, leaves, and I'm sad a Maddie Sam scene doesn't last longer, but happy that as it's unresolved, we'll get a longer one later on. Basically, Maddie's like, why do you hate Mac so much? And Sam's like, I don't want to talk about it. And Madeline's like, okay. And then smokes. Um, we do get a more substantial scene later on, but uh, I definitely wish we could have dug into this a little more here. Um, and maybe had some final roommate antics. Yeah. Sam and I would have enjoyed uh, that. Yeah, exactly. Like, this is what we actually want. I don't give a shit about this Mac dude. Like, come on. Sam and Mac do a stakeout in what must be a crazy uncomfortable position because they're looking behind them with their car too far up from where they're staking. Because usually when you're staking out, your car is like behind where you're looking so you can look ahead. But they are parked like 50 feet away from the thing and are craning their necks, fully turning around to stare out the back of the car towards what they're staking out. Seems very uncomfortable and extremely suspicious. (laughs) So I don't know what they were thinking. You have to do when you're a spy. There was no spy voiceover that said that. So I think that you're full of shit. That's true. You're right. (laughs) <laughs> without five voiceover it's nothing so uh fiona checks in on a walkie i guess she's closer up and remarks that rincon our bad guy looks even more like a child predator and cop killer than he does in the picture remember bad guys mean. are stupid remember bad guys are stupid and lame and probably also child predators because nuance can go fuck itself we watch rincon give two children far too long a look as he turns a corner and then the neighborhood uh oh and then but he can gets you just his like imagine Lord. being the actor who gets cast as rincon yeah and just like reading that line no and just reading that line of like he looks more like a cop killer and a child predator than he did in his picture like what does that yeah. say about me <laughs> yeah uh, i mean it's it's a lot 
Um, but yeah, so this, so he he's he creeps on some children. We get a lower third treatment. I don't and then think Fiona he looks ins- that much like a child predator. No, nah, he he just like looks slumped and shitty, and is yeah, he just like, looks like a dude. <laughs> yeah, but he is staring at children. We get a lingering shot of the children he stares at, so mm-hmm. we know he's uh, the real deal in terms of how bad a guy he is. Fiona and Sam start to make a move of some kind, which is not described at all. They just sort of like start walking up when the entire neighborhood erupts in anti-snitch defensive maneuvers and Rincon runs off like the rat that he is. Yeah, you like that, Alfredo? You goody two-shoes, you nasty goody two-shoes. Sam and Fee realize everyone think they're cops, and if that's the case, Rincon is going to make himself too scarce, and they won't find him. So Fiona boldly and publicly hot-wires a car, and Sam brandishes a gun at some punks, and they drive off. Which I so, did like that. I thought that was I fun. did. I thought this whole sequence was fun. I thought it was interesting. And finally, yeah. someone's acknowledging, like, these two random white people are in our neighborhood all of a sudden, and they, like, look very serious. They're definitely cops. Everybody get the fuck out of here. <laughs> um, and then and I like, like that, that Fiona and... Alfredo Barrios a lot of shit for being very black and white in his morality. And this episode is pretty black and white in its morality. But I do like that it acknowledges that the relationship between cops and people of color and gangs are more complex. Yeah. I think that they did a really good job of that. This is, this is certain. Yeah. I think the, I mean, the reason that this is probably the best Barrios junior episode is because it's the only one where one of the like thugs that we're introduced to isn't just, I love bunny and love killing people. Like he has a slightly more I nuanced love reason children. for. <laughs> exactly. Um, Please so don't yeah, take no, that out of context. I'm gonna I'm gonna isolate it like I isolated the ASMR from episode three. Jesus, just you saying over and over again, "I love children." While the ASMR plays, <laughs> yeah, of course that's part of the ASMR, Chris. I'm just gonna turn the volume way down so you have to really listen to hear it. Anyway, yeah, and then just like uh, that awful sound that like people like that shit. I don't get it. We, I don't understand. I don't people. either. I'm not an ASMR fan. I don't actually. I didn't even listen to the ASMR. I just made sure that like there was. I no, like, actively big dislike it. Me too. It makes me feel weird. I hate it. I hate it's having like feelings. It, it makes me feel like bugs are crawling in my head. It does. Anyway, fuck ASMR and anyone who likes it. So yeah. Sam and Fiona go They're after all Michael child Cole. predators <laughs> and cop killers. Predictably, Sam and Fiona call in Michael, who tells them that their best bet to get the neighborhood to turn on Rincon is, uh, oh, so they, they, they go get Michael, who tells them that their best bet is to get the neighborhood to turn on Rincon themselves rather than trying to blend in again because they're also blindingly white. There's a lot of blinding white stuff in this episode, which I thought was a nice theme. Uh, so they set their sights on a guy called Omar, who used to be a normal crime guy, then became a bit of a Robin Hood for his neighborhood, fencing aspirin and baby formula to those in need. He also beats up domestic abusers. To his credit, this is the most nuanced a crime guy has ever been in a Barrios episode. Chris and I are texting about it right now because I'd rather be doing that instead of watching this episode. <laughs> this, My notes for this episode were a lot of just sort of play-by-plays of what I was doing while watching the episode. So apparently during this scene, I was texting Chris. Um, they also, and, and we kind of already touched on this, but this is the Did, scene where they acknowledge that the neighborhood doesn't have a lot of police support. So the gang kind of fulfills a necessary like protection aspect and not in like a racketeering way, not in like a pay us for protection. It's like a, I'm from here. I must protect this area. 
Did you ever, while watching this scene, have like just a slight fear that Michael was going to pretend to be a Cuban gangster? No, not once. Okay, just me then. I was like, I don't think so. <laughs> Barrios I mean, is wearing this. He wouldn't. Yeah, do that. I was gonna say. I don't think. I don't think Alfredo Barrios Jr. would have done it. Like he, I that doesn't strike me as his sort of thing. And I'm, I don't think anyone's done any like brown or blackface during this. No. Yet have they? Because no. leverage does. There's like two leverage. Does leverage? Where? Yeah, she does. Uh, she 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 has brown face. One of the one of the white ladies in Leverage pretends to be a, an Indian woman during an episode, and uh. um, don't love it. Was not necessary. So then, so now they're like, okay, we got to go meet with Omar, and we got to get Omar to turn on Rincon or help us get the neighborhood to turn on Rincon. So it Michael is also dresses- worth pointing out that while this is a surprising amount of nuance, Omar is the best crime guy that there could ever be like right he's a crime guy but he's also like kind of a saint he's, he's like he's a like, model minority of yeah crime guys <laughs> he's like that one kid's dad in the divorce episode yeah where like he's so like fundamentally decent He's just made some bad choices in his life, but he can always come back. So the next scene, Michael, dressed as Lucifer from the show Lucifer, drives up to Omar's place in the stolen blue car from earlier. Remember Fiona stole a car to convince people she wasn't a cop? He does an unconvincing Batman voice and squints a lot because this alias doesn't wear cop sunglasses like Michael does. And all right, I'm very into this. This is this very alias fun is alias. Great. This I is, it's so bizarre. this alias. His name is Lewis. Um, but I call him Mr. Snaps. <laughs> He's, we should call him Thanos. Thanos? Thanos. Okay, that's actually, that is also good. This character, Mr. Snaps, is basically the devil meets Batman. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lot. It's like black suit, red tie, red shirt, like... And like, and like slicked back Omar hair. literally calls him the devil. Like, yeah, and, and he's like, "You can call me whatever you want, but I go by Lewis or something like that." But he Anyways. is Mister Snaps. Yeah, he's Mister Snap, and Mister Snap smoothly disarms and holds one gang guy at gunpoint and pulls him into a bodega, telling the other guys who he was with to go get Omar, King of the Barrio. Ha! <laughs> they call him King of the Barrio. Um, eventually Omar arrives and Michael introduces himself as maybe Satan, definitely Lewis, which I think is a terrible name for this alias. So of course it's perfect. Lewis pitches the manhunt for Rincon, but Omar says he has too much else on his plate protecting this place to help some weirdo Satan cosplayer without any proof. Lewis makes his threat and snaps his fingers, causing two of their cars outside to explode with a little help from Fee and Sam. And Michael makes like Batman and disappears while they're all distracted. Yeah, it's great. So when this he, yeah, first he does happens, a literal I, Batman exit. It's so it, good. Yeah. <laughs> they turn around and he's gone, and it's just like, you know, the the door is slightly ajar or whatever. Um, so when this first happens, when his little snap 
thing happens. I was like, oh, that's funny. You know, he he's so coordinated with his teammates. He does that. But then as it goes on in the episode, it, it's very clear. They're trying to establish the thing where when Michael snaps his fingers, things just explode. And it's not always clear how it happens. And they're playing with the sort of superstition of like, is this guy Satan? And I think that that's hilarious. I think that they- It's so the, good. The, 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 the fact that they've made an alias around is this guy magic and also the literal devil is so funny. <laughs> he has a great line in his bad Batman voice where he goes, the devil wants Recon's soul. I just want the man. <laughs> yeah. It's so it's, good. It's very I'm good. I'm so I, happy about it. Yeah, this is a lot more fun than I expected to have in this episode. And it was very fun. I enjoyed it a lot. So back at Madeline's place, because apparently Mac doesn't have a hotel with Wi-Fi, he is watching the team's location from afar when Madeline accosts him, demanding to know why her best friend Sam isn't drinking as much. Her apparently, best friend. I know it's so cute. I it's her best friend. Love He's that Michael's so best friend. Much. Oh, it's so fucking cute. I love it a lot. Why didn't we have more roommate scenes? Anyways, uh, what we learn is that apparently Sam used to be married and Madeline guesses that Max screwed around with his wife. Max says it's not that simple and then we move off that scene for some reason. Uh, nothing is resolved, so I guess we'll because talk about it later. Because they don't actually have plot here. Mm. They don't have a story to tell. It's just Sam being kind of sad. Yeah, that's the thing. Is we don't learn anything new about Sam. We don't learn anything new about Mac or their relationship. Like, this is... It, it feels like um, the episode with the accountant, except there was no, like, nuance to Sam, except, ooh, he once didn't just fuck around. He had a whole-ass wife. Like, that doesn't, that means nothing to me. It yeah, and it doesn't, nothing. we don't whole learn dumb. anything. The thing about the scene with the accountant and that plot is we're seeing the person that Sam, not necessarily wronged, but, like, we're seeing this person, like, I don't care about Mac. Like, that's not the... Because apparently the thing that Sam needs to learn is that maybe he wasn't great for his wife. But it's not even that. That's not even But it's what not the even that because they don't is. really do that because they can't really do that because it's Mac that's here and that's so, like, removed and, like... It's all yeah, he's never the information is secondhand and so yeah. oblique that there's no real story. It's just like getting them, getting Sam to talk about this, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, but it doesn't it's, lead anywhere. It no, doesn't it doesn't. Go anywhere. We don't reconnect with anyone. Like it's nothing. It's it's just like giving Sam a reason to not just be like, hey, let's help out my buddy. Like it's just they've invented this so that Sam can be like bitchy. And yeah, there's a lot of scenes where Sam just acts. Yeah, acts. he just doesn't want to talk about it. And it's, yeah, but he it's like, so unnecessary. Do we wasted so much time. We could have spent way more time with Madeline being like sad that Sam's moving out or something. Like that could have been a fun subplot where that like would Madeline's have been a like fun making thing. it like if Madeline was like making it really hard for Sam to move out, like arguing with him about what stuff is hers and what stuff is his and like being a real like nagger and then at the end it re she realizes, "Oh my gosh, Maddie, are you just sad I'm moving out? And then they could have like a really sweet heart to heart. Like that yes. could have been a fun that side thing. That would have been much better. 
And it would have played into our assumptions of like, oh, Maddie is just like an unreasonable person. But then it turns out like it's coming from a place of love. Like that would 100% be in line with the stuff that they do on Burn Notice. So anyway, exactly. that's that's just a penny for my thoughts. Um, Instead, so- <laughs> we have this guy who's from Texas mm-hmm. and like Who maybe he's Sam's racist a while ago. But like not really oh, yeah, he's, racist. Yeah, yeah, it's it's unclear. That's that's a whole thing that we can and get like, into later. Yeah, and he kinda learns that maybe some crime guys are okay, but mm-hmm. like not really because they don't play that at all. No, if there's like two sentences and each time he immediately is like, Oh, you're right. <laughs> so he'll he'll say something and then they're like, Actually, no, you're wrong. And he's like, Oh, okay. And there's no conflict whatsoever, so it's really unclear why it's there. Uh, But moving on, we're already at 40 minutes recording. Sam and Michael watch the fruits of their labor uh, with uh, Satan Boy from afar, and Danny Trejo as Vega finally makes an appearance as the leader of a bigger nearby gang. Vega himself has been bullying Omar for supplies in exchange for protection, a.k.a. not attacking them himself, but Omar needs those supplies for his neighborhood and refuses. One of Vega's men menaces a woman and breaks a bodega window, and Omar finally relents. He'll give Vega his stuff in a van, and Vega helpfully says the address of the warehouse out loud for Michael and Sam to intercept. If Michael is the big problem now, Michael has to make himself a bigger one. I assumed a la You say if Michael is the big problem? I I think you said if Michael is the big problem. If Vega is the big problem now, Michael has to make himself a bigger one. That was the way that they phrased it. Because basically they're like, oh, I see. Omar doesn't want to help us because we are not his biggest problem. Vega is. So we need to make ourselves a bigger problem. Which I, I mean, I'm fine. But I was assuming that what they were going to do is a la Paxson, he would help by getting rid of Vega for Omar. So Omar's like, oh, thanks for helping out. Yeah, sure. I'll find That's what I thought too. But no such luck. Bad guys need to be strong armed and cops need to be helped. Blue lives matter. Anyways, the gang. I hope gang. no one takes that out of context. <laughs> I think the, the guy who listened to our podcast plot. for a long time already stopped listening. I'm pretty sure the guy yeah. that yelled at us on Twitter for being mean to cops. Our gang, uh, our, our our friends, the Burn Notice crew, sets up some more explosive the little charges. little rascals. Yeah, our little rascals set up some explosive charges to fuck with this supplies handoff when Fiona notices that they're being watched by Gilroy, so their little show needs to be good for more than one reason. With some trick rubber bullet sniper shots from Fee and another snap of the fingers explosion from Michael, the van of supplies is theirs. Gilroy tailgates Michael in the van for a while until Michael pulls over and demands he backs off. Gilroy is impressed with the style, and then they flirt some more. My, uh, Mice's back... Like, I will say, sometimes we on this show casually talk about, like, two characters as flirting, like, as a shorthand, but, like, he is literally flirting. Yeah. This is a a real live flirt. Yeah. Um, In a way that it's, like, supposed to be uncomfortable. Um, Yeah. But, again, there's another great scene where he snaps his fingers and something blows up, and it's really fun. And, the, and they're like, the you can see, because we see, like, the same group of, like, three gang guys who Michael is always fucking with. So, like, the 
the narrative that they've been seeing has gotten increasingly more terrifying and it's very fun to watch them every time he appears to get like a little bit more freaked out by him. Um, so Michael heads back to the loft minus his phone as he believes that's how Gilroy tracked him. Fee wonders if they can just shoot him because she's Fiona, but Michael over a yogurt Should reminds her him? that Gil- <laughs> Should we shoot him? Uh, but Michael reminds her over a yogurt that uh, Gilroy works for hire, so he's really just the tip of the iceberg. So we don't even really want to take down Gilroy. We want to use Gilroy to get to who hires him because they're even worse guys because responsibility pyramid scheme something something uh sam calls to let them know that omar is ripe for a talking to so michael abandons his yogurt with a pout and heads over on an empty stomach omar threatens him michael threatens better so omar agrees to turn over in cone in a few hours uh madeline and sam talk while sam continues to pack man he's really moved in huh madeline has apparently flipped to Mac's side and says sam's marriage had been over for years before she and mac got together but sam says it's about a code she, she being his wife not madeline yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes um yeah this is she she's already hooked up with one of sam's navy seal buddies she does not need a second one her bench post is just fine or her bedpost is just fine. So, uh, but yeah, so basically she's like, your marriage has been over for years before your wife and Matt got together. But Sam's like, it's about a code. You don't sit in another man's canoe, period, is the metaphor he uses. Gross. In my notes, I just have written, is the canoe her vagina? Yes, Chris, obviously. Do you need it to be spelled out for you? Are you also a baby predator? And you've never heard about metaphors and women's genitalia? Moving no. on. <laughs> <laughs> Michael checks in with Omar and learns that Rincon's not just well protected, he's protected specifically by Vega. Omar gives him the address. Michael, Mac, and Sam head to extract Rincon, but then discover that they've walked into a trap with Vega's men surrounding the building. The three good guys, special forces, repel down the building and aren't shot once, despite the rainfall of bullets and how long they're exposed, and get away clean. Mac is convinced that Omar sold them out because maybe racist uh, and because gang guy bad, but Fee reveals that Omar was attacked too because Vega found out he was looking for Rincon, so Mac immediately changes his tune and says that they should help. Yeah, no shit, Mac. I don't know what this was for. But, like, and it's it's so wild how he changes his tone because he's literally like, God, that guy sold us out. Fuck that guy. And then it's like, no, he got hit too. Oh my God, he's such a good guy. We <laughs> yeah, should help it's him. It's on a dime. So why why <laughs> why doth the lady protest at all, Mac? Right. It's so weird. It's so weird. Uh, Michael as Lewis slash Satan checks in with Omar to team up, and Omar and Mr. Omar Snaps. agrees. <laughs> yes, Mr. Snaps, of course. I'm so sorry. Uh, and Omar agrees reluctantly. Sam, Michael, and Fiona make some guerrilla warfare props out of fruit and ice cream stands. Michael makes handcuffs with one faulty link and a listening device implanted, and they head to their showdown. Vega. I actually like think jer- that Mr. Snaps is a good name for Satan, by the way. It sounds like a real kind of like early twenty, early twentieth century American folklore. Very sure. like, oh brother, where art thou? Yeah, I dig it. I bet the Lucifer from the show Lucifer would like that too. I think he would enjoy it. Tell um, me more about shows that you watch that aren't burned on us. <laughs> 
<laughs> I I've been doing this thing where I like get really obsessed with a show um, and then com- like watch like two and a half seasons and then just fully abandon it. I've done that with The Good Wife. I've done that with Lucifer. Um, I've been doing that a lot recently. I cannot stay focused. I wonder what's going on in the world that's causing me to lose my focus. Anyways, Vega acts like a jerk to Omar for a bit uh, at this little showdown that they've set up until he asks to be presented with the cuffed Michael. Because like the, the thing that they set up is that Omar has like acquired Mr. Snaps for Vega because that's who Vega wants. And this will get them like all good with each other. So Vega brings Omar and Michael inside an abandoned building to meet with Raccoon, who finally gets to talk and who demands to know who Michael is, why he's looking for him, and roughs him up a little. Every time Michael gets hit, we cut outside to Fiona reacting, which honestly doesn't seem like her at all. Michael is always getting hit, and half of the time, she is the one hitting. Oh, women weak, though. You right, Barrios. Michael says some creepy shit to Rincon. Rincon when tells is him the to point? To- there's a point where he threatens to snap. <laughs> Does it? Does he? Yeah. I don't remember I forget that. exactly when. It's in one of these scenes where he's with... Omar's guys or whatever and he threatens to snap and they all recoil <laughs> it's so good I, I apparently missed that um, yeah no it's great it's... he just like threatens and everyone's just like oh no so thoroughly has he sold this idea Michael says some creepy shit to Rincon. Rincon tells him to go to hell and then Michael excitedly whispers come with me which got a legit laugh out of me <laughs> his delivery of it is so good it's so, it's just, it's Batman, but like worse. And it's so perfect. But the it's, thing is that it's not even like just dour Batman either. Like he says it like crazed. Yeah. He says it like his very, eyes go very wide. Chaotic. Yeah. Very chaotic. Yeah. So chaotic. It's like, it's not like come with me. It's like, come with me. <laughs> it's like so good. It's so good. I can't. I cannot express to you how good this alias is. Uh, and then Michael snaps his fingers for one final thing uh, for the first explosion. Bursts out of his cuffs, grabbing Rincon and pulling him outside as Omar pulls a gun on Vega, victorious. So they get out clean. Uh, Satan is Satan, but is good sometimes too, I guess. Uh, Sam and Mac make up in front of Madeline, and Sam asks Madeline if she wants to have a beer with him, which is a cute kind of ending to Sam finally feels like drinking again and Madeline is happy. Um, then we have a tiny final scene between Lewis and Omar. And as Lewis walks away all cool, Omar tries to snap as if he expects something to happen, which is also very cute. It is really cute. Uh, that And it's the old, like, I, while I was watching the scene, because, like, it's so little happens, it's a single line in my recap, but uh, then Omar tries to snap, and I'm like, oh, okay, this is worth it. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad this all worked out. This is I needed this final scene. Um, you know what's interesting about this episode? Um, I think the, the alias and the case of the week is the best part about it. Yeah, I would agree Like, the Sam stuff doesn't really work, and, like, the Gilroy no, stuff is boring. Like, but it's actually, and it's a pretty standard case of the week, but it's all just really engaging. And I... Mm-hmm. Well, it's something different. We're seeing, like, a different spin on it. They're going a little broader. And, like, we, we tend, you and I tend to really like it when they go broad. You know, like he's not just like a gang guy. He's like literal Lucifer maybe has magic powers. You know, they're taking a swing and they're taking a risk. And I like that. I do too. 
So uh, the next scene is in the evening. Fiona and Michael are at a hotel together. And Fiona, having just arrived, goes in on him about how he's going to get himself killed. And he works too hard. And also that she's still mad that they only go to hotels on missions. And Michael, amused after he lets her rant for a little bit, reveals that while they are here on a mission, it doesn't start until the morning. So they're here early for sex. He says it more romantic-like and then undresses her all slowly. And all right, it's an extremely cute scene. It was very fun. It is cute. And I, I wrote like, in my notes, that was almost smooth, Michael. I know. I like I like when he lets her get all worked up. Like, I like that he isn't like, hey, Fiona, I feel bad. Let's go and have, like, a nice date night. It's like, no, hey, come here for a job. And then he lets her rant for a little bit and then is like, actually... <laughs> It's like a reveal. And I feel like they both do this a lot where they both like to let the other person spin out a little bit so that like the release is so much more cathartic. And you know what? No kink shaming here. Whatever you are into, folks. The next morning, Gilroy calls and agrees that they can work together after all. The end. <laughs> Honestly, kind of like a... Yeah, it's it's sort of a, a kind of bummer end. It's just like, okay, we can work with Gilroy now. I kind of wish they'd ended on the Michael and Fee scene and done the Gilroy thing uh, like later or earlier. Like, like I kind of wish that Michael had gotten to the hotel room, done the thing with Gilroy. So we already know that the like mission is over. And then when Fiona gets there, it becomes even more of a fun scene because like the dramatic irony of the audience also being in on this like fun surprise, you know, would make it kind of nice. And then that would be the end of the episode. Like diddly diddly dee. That's just my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I like, I do like the reveal. I like being on Fee's side of it more than Michael's. That's fair. I just, you know, the the ending. But I, was I such get what a you're long. saying. <laughs> so I think you don't need anything. Like I think they could have just like gone to bed together. Episode ends, and because it's not like anything surprising happens. Gilroy yeah. says yes. Like if Gilroy said no, that would be surprising. Like no, you just yeah. We expect that's gonna happen. Yeah. Um, so this was a, a pretty light episode for spy tips. Do you want to go over the ones that I felt were practical? Let's go over the ones that you thought were practical. Because there are only five. So if we if you disagree about any of these, then uh-oh. The, oh, boy. the waters are troubled. Uh, number one, in an army, a chain of command gets activated by unusual events. Tanks amassing on a border, a hacking attack on a central computer, assassinations of key personnel. A street gang's chain of command is not is no different. Showing up in a stolen car and making a splashy entrance will get a message sent up the ladder. I'll take it. Yeah. I, and also, like, paired with what we saw earlier of, like, the chain of command of, oh, these are definitely cops. Everyone get the fuck out. You know, I like that. Yeah, no, it was good. It reminds us that systems are at play. Uh, Number two, because warehouses store bulk items and not people, they're usually built cheaply. Most of the time, the roofs are just plywood and asphalt tiles. Attach a hole saw bit to a silenced drill, and you can bore through the roof without attracting attention. If you want to create a bigger opening, a few ounces of C4 on the brackets holding the door in place will do the trick. Uh, Any tip that could also be like a home improvement episode thing. It's always good for me. Mm-hmm. Use C4 in your home improvement. Uh, number three, dominance in the battlefield isn't always about the use of lethal force. Sometimes it's more effective to leave a few targets around to spread a word. Rubber composite bullets fired from a suppressed rifle won't kill your enemy, but it'll make them think twice about staying in the fight. 
this is one of those burn notice tips that starts out like the vaguest thing in the world and at the very end is like oh by the way here's a bunch of specific information mm-hmm. yeah exactly i'll take it yeah i'm on nice this episode's side yeah exactly <laughs> it's funny how not objective we are like, we will work harder to make an episode a great episode of Bird Notice if we liked the episode in general. Yeah. Uh, all right. Number four. When you're extracting, when you're extracting, when you're extracting a heavily guarded target, it's important to choose the right entry point. Guards watch windows and doors. So if you come through in the common wall of a neighboring apartment, you've got surprise on your side. Not to mention a shower of shattered concrete. I feel like we've had something like this yeah. before. I feel like we have to. It's I, it's actually it's kind of the sugar tip from the pilot. Where it it's is like, kind of the sugar tip from the pilot. The doors the doors of a drug dealer's house are probably going to be barricaded, but the wall next to the door is just fucking wall, man. Yeah. Although in the sugar tip, that was about being things being reinforced, whereas this is about things being watched, guarded. Yeah. Like, and I don't think we've actually seen an episode of them coming in from an apartment alongside actually speaking of shows that i uh watch obsessively and then just abandon even though there's more show quantico has this as a plot where like this woman is set up and then it turns out that a person had rented the apartment next to her and had been sneaking in and out via a removable bathroom mirror you have the worst taste in television (laughs) precastling Well, there's so much television to watch, and I watch it so frequently that, like, sometimes there's going to be garbage in there. But you know what? Sometimes garbage is comforting. Have you seen Never Have I Ever yet, the new Mindy Kaling show? No, I haven't. It's very um, good. I enjoy it a lot. Yeah, Chris and Andrew are watching it, but I haven't watched it yet. Very, very good. I mean, you need to finish sophomore year first, obviously. Uh, So what do you think about this tip? Uh, No, I think coming in from another apartment, I think there's enough stuff here that feels like a thing. And again, I'm biased. I want this episode to come out okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. <laughs> Our totally objective scientific methodology for determining if something is a good bonus episode or not uh, continues. Number five, spy tip. Camouflage is commonly associated with jungle warfare, but the truth is it's just as important in urban settings. You're bound to draw attention setting up a bulletproof barricade on the sidewalk or toting a concussion charge down the street. But fruit stands reinforced with strips of steel-belted tires and ice cream carts packed with explosives blend right in. Of course, the ultimate Trojan horse is a shackled prisoner. A paranoid enemy might go so far as frisking a hostage who's wearing handcuffs, but people tend not to check if one of the handcuff links is made of polystyrene or if there's a listening device in the pin lock here's the thing about this tip if we had said no to the last tip i would you could count have argued this, that this like was two, two tips. or even three tips yeah it's it's hard to say because now that we <laughs> now that we fully i mean maybe you never did but i have fully stopped trying to transcribe the spy tips as they happen in the episode which makes watching the episode a lot more pleasant um so, so i just copy and, i so i just copy and paste them from the brunotis wiki and they considered yes, it one tip so so did i but i agree i would have also advocated for like the uh like trojan war stuff and then the uh handcuff stuff to be separate had the other one failed so in any case yes this is a good spy tiff that is five so let's move on to rating the episode um were there at least five practical spy tips there were at least five if not five and a half six so pass um did they solve the weekly case using spycraft over violence 
I think they did. I think that they used uh, magic over violence. They did use magic. <laughs> it's it was very much like a magic show. He was dressed like a musician, a musician. He was dressed like a magician. They he were was. constantly like they they associated his snaps with explosives. It was a lot of style. It was a lot of theater in this episode. There was, uh, and yes, and what is a spy if not a, a theater kid, a, a buff theater kid, a buff theater kid. <laughs> Great. Um, but yeah, um, so I think we have agreed that Spycraft, yes. Yeah, it was violent Spycraft, but it wasn't even. It was incredibly violent Spycraft. Because like nobody, because like violence, I consider is like people doing shootouts, and the only people doing violence were the bad guys. But like the good guys, mostly just kind of snuck around and did like little shows. So yeah, I love it when they do little shows. <laughs> Me too. Uh, was there a distinct or revisited alias? There Hell yeah. was. Hell Lewis, yeah. Lewis, a.k.a. Satan, a.k.a. Lucifer from the show Lucifer, a.k.a. Mr. Snaps, a.k.a. Thanos. Oh, boy. Was this an episode where these sidekicks were used well? Fee got to blow lots of things up, so I would argue yes. Uh, I would argue that Sam did not get to be peak Bruce Campbell because he was so mopey this whole episode for, like, no apparent reason. Yeah, and, like, I mean, they wrote there was some good Madeline stuff. But, like, mm-hmm. Sam's not that good in the Madeline stuff. No. he's Madeline's like, Bruce, good in the Madeline Bruce Campbell stuff. is great, but he cannot, at least in this show and with these writers, pull off a dramatic scene. I have yet no, to see he's Sam never, Axe convincingly do a dramatic scene. That's not been his strong scene. suit ever. Mm-mm. But, yeah, so not Sam, but Fee. So that's but yeah, Fee, Fee definitely got used well, and, and she got to have her, her cute scene with Michael at the end. Um, so that's... That's four out of four, my friend. This is scientifically, definitely objectively, a great episode of Burn Notice. But now. Again, it kind of becomes that thing where whenever it seems like an episode is going to be about a character, it never is. Yeah. Like, whenever the plot suggests that we're going to showcase one of the team that isn't Michael... Or, like, anyone. It never showcases them. Mm-mm. That's so weird. Uh, since it's been a while since we've recorded, I forgot it, but last week's episode was our favorite Matt Nix episode, and then this week's episode is our favorite Alfredo Barrios Jr.'s episode. So it's a, it, it's a twofer. It's a it's double a feature. Yeah. Is it a great episode of television? No. It's, it was a very fun episode to watch. It was not a great episode of television. No. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. I did too. I had a really, I even though I was a little salty at the beginning, I did. Yeah, you were like, a little salty in the beginning. I had already I, watched, I had already watched it. So you were like, Ugh, I don't know. And yeah, I'm by like, the time hold I on though. I know. Yeah, no, it was very good. It, it, I was pleasantly surprised and I very much did enjoy all of their little Satan antics. Um, so we kind of skipped over this a couple of episodes ago because we're, we're well through the halfway point of the season. Um, do you want me to quickly give you a rundown of where we're at? Sure, why not? Let's Ratings see wise. what they have to do to pull this out. <laughs> um, so of Let's the... look at the scores. Of the 11 episodes we've seen so far, and there are only 16 in the season, so we're we're on our way to the end, my friend. Either eight or nine were episodes of television. Either two or three 
were great episodes of television, with uh, episode number nine being uh, disputed at time of recording. But we promise that in our bonus episode at the end of the season, we will come down on it one way or the other. Uh, And eight episodes were great episodes of Bird Notice. So we've had three episodes this season that would not be considered great episodes of Burn Notice, um, which is pretty good. Uh, and also so far, we have had 19, or I guess 18, because I'm counting next week's. Uh, so far, we have had 18 on-screen yogurts, bringing Very our good. total up to this point in uh, the Burn Notice podcast, 45.5 yogurts. Good amount of yogurts. A lot of yogurts. Question. <laughs> Uh, how is this season faring against season two? Season two had 16 episodes as well. So same number of episodes. Uh, yeah, 12 at this of them, point in time, like after episode 11 in season two. After episode 11 in season two. Well, let me tell you. Eight were considered an episode of television. Three were considered great episodes of television. So we're about on track, just depending on where that one episode falls. Um, yeah. So same number of great episode versus an episode. Uh, but uh, this time last year, 10 episodes were great episodes of Burn Notice. So this this season so far has had fewer great episodes of Burn Notice than the previous season. Both, of course, still more than ep- season one because they were still finding their yeah. footing. But yeah, technically fewer episodes this season were considered great episodes of Burn Notice. And they do but not possibly correspond. The, possibly the same amount of good episodes of television. Yeah, roughly the same ep- great episodes of television. Uh, so yeah, if, we're about the if same we level fall on that side. Yeah, we're we'll yeah, see. it's about the same. Good to know. All mm-hmm. right. Uh, and we um, already have more uh, yogurts than last season. Last season total was eighteen point five, and uh, since I already know that there's at least one in the episode for next week, we're already at nineteen um, yogurts for this season. So each season. Definitely steps up how many yogurts are on screen, um, but at least seasons two and three have remained. Season seven is just going consistent. to be like every episode is forty <laughs> minutes of someone eating yogurt. <laughs> they like Michael Weston will be like staking out, and somebody will just drive by and throw yogurts into the car for him to like refill his stocks. He's gonna take a bath in yogurt. They're gonna go to a spa and get a yogurt cleanse. Oh. <laughs> well, anyways. Oh boy. All right. Oh, boy. Uh, That sounds like a good thing to end on. (laughs) And with a yogurt spa idea. Thank you so much to Vincent E.L. for our awesome theme music. You can find more of Vince's music at vincentel.bandcamp.com. And until next week, bye. This was a quick one. 